You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Rasobe here, excited to continue our series talking to educators across the NLC community on this puzzle, this riddle of trying to get kids back into school safely in a way so they can learn even more than they usually do uh, when they're not in school. So joined by NLC, San Francisco 2016 fellow Lindsay is here. She's also a former board member, all sorts of good perspectives and thoughts on this key topic. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. All right, Lindsay, how are you coming at this challenging issue of reopening schools? What's your angle into the challenge? <laughs> uh, well, I've been um, an educator for uh, probably about 20 years now, and I've worked in schools in a whole bunch of different contexts as a paraeducator, a case manager, classroom teacher, and now I am an assistant principal, a site administrator at a school in Northern California. And so then why is reopening schools so hard to figure out? It's one of the most complicated issues <laughs> you could possibly imagine. Um, it, you know, everything, schools are, are communities, schools are systems, and there are so many pieces of schools that depend on each other. You know, um, it, because it's not just a matter of like, can we open up a classroom door and allow some children inside so long as those children stay six feet away from each other and keep their masks on? Um, it's a matter of, do I have enough custodial staff to do the bathroom cleanings in between individuals using the restrooms? Um, what does our, how is our cafeteria set up? Is it set up in a way that students can walk through and pick up food and then have a place to eat? Um, and on top of that, you know, schools provide two thirds of a student's kind of daily nutritional intake for students who are on free and reduced price lunch, which is a large number of kids in a lot of schools. Um, it's also complicated to figure out, like, if we're going to do COVID screenings and safety checks, who does that? Whose job is that? Is that mine as an administrator? Is that the teacher's job? Is that a health aides job, um, you know, 30 years ago, it would have been the school nurse, but we don't really have school nurses anymore because of all the budget cuts that schools have gone through. Um, there's also the question of if our teachers get sick, right? If a teacher gets sick, whether it's COVID or not COVID, um, who covers for them? Most of the substitutes who work in schools are older, retired individuals, so they're more likely to be high risk Um you know, if we're talking about distance learning or being able to access curriculum from further away, we have to figure out, do kids have enough internet access? Do they have a Chromebook or a computer that they can do that with? Um, and then on top of that, for students who have special needs, learning through a computer or following new strict rules on school campuses about wearing masks is an incredible challenge. For students with autism who have serious uh, or significant sensory issues or needs, keeping a mask on their face may not be possible. And so in that case, how do we keep that classroom, the instructional assistants, the teacher and the students safe when the current public health condition um, doesn't really allow for them to be able to exist on our campus in the way that's the most comfortable. So then are you, I was going to ask, are you, are you taking directions on all those different things from your district itself? Are y'all kind of putting together what you hear from the county, what you hear from the state? I kind of describe to folks briefly how you kind of manage all the different messaging yeah. realities you're getting from different state and local entities. Sure. Uh, so in the district that I work in, a lot of that stuff filters through our district leadership. 
So I'm not getting communications directly from the state. Um, we get, oh, sorry. <laughs> Walkie talkie with the facility manager talking there. Um, so I don't get information directly from the state aside from what the California Department of Education or the governor actually live streams. Um, or sends out in a mass message. But a lot of that goes through the county, which then uh, communicates to the district. And then district leadership communicates to the particular departments that the message is relevant for. And then site administrators and leaders have to kind of bring all of those different pieces together to make them work for our individual sites. Um, you know, and it's different depending on even what your campus looks like. Our campus is largely indoor hallways with a large open space in the center. Other campuses are completely enclosed. And then still other campuses are largely portables or individual classrooms that have lots of outdoor space between them. So it's very specialized depending on what kind of school you have, what the layout is, who your students are. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about actual curriculum and distance learning itself as we're looking at this issue of reopening schools. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Lindsay, finish this sentence for me. Distance learning is what? Complicated. <laughs> I was going to ask, what, what do you feel like you now will change having had, I guess we didn't know at, at the time, but a chance to kind of test drive distance learning in the spring. But now that we're doing it more, uh, uh, more weeks, more months, who knows how long, what mm -hmm. things do you think will change and adapt based on what you learned from the spring? Well, I mean, in the spring, in a lot of ways, teachers did phenomenal work, but it was crisis learning. It wasn't really distance learning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, classes are set up in a way to often to allow students to have the most possible interaction with each other. And when you transition with very short notice from a class where there's discussions and kids are sitting in pods um, to everybody having their own computer from their own home, a lot of the strategies that you would use won't cross over. So this year, our teachers have been working all summer on kind of reimagining their curriculum maps, their course plans, learning different ways to do small group discussion. Um, we've been doing a lot of training on Zoom and how to use Zoom breakout rooms and annotation tools, um, how to build community in an online space. A lot of the community building that we do that helps students find purpose and connection and safety in their classrooms. Um, you know, a lot of it is talk to the turn and talk to the person next to you. Uh, but without that, we have to think about, you know, different ways to get kids engaged, go run and find something that's this color or, um, you know, what go change your, your display picture to your animal crossing avatar or whatever the case may be. Um, so there's been, I would say every teacher at my school has probably spent upwards of 40 hours over the summer unpaid working on developing curriculum and adapting the lessons that they already had to work better over the internet. Um, and I think just a lot of training, a lot of training on how to use technology and on how to um, on how to set up class norms and etiquette and ways of engaging that are going to work well for distance learning. Um, you know, it's one of the big things that's been coming up a lot is discussions around discipline, right? 
Um, that's a big piece of my job as an assistant principal. But how do you assign a detention for a student who, say, types a naughty word into the chat box during a class discussion? Right? You can't say like, hey, uh, you're going to need to film yourself pulling weeds in your backyard and send that to me and then I'll clear your detention. Um, so a lot of the traditional tools that schools have used to enforce behavior aren't going to be available for us anymore. Um, and in some ways, that's great because it can mean that we're maybe reducing the, the school to prison pipeline a bit because we won't be enforcing uh, dress code violations in the same way that we might have before. Um, but it also means that we have to dig real deep in order to provide that why. Like, why should a student do the exact thing that I say they should do in that moment? It's not because they're going to get a detention if they don't. And last thing to think about uh, and to answer once we are in a place where school looks more traditional again, kids are in buildings, hopefully more than three days a week, and they're the full five days a week, and it looks like school as we know it. What do you think will be required to catch kids back up to really reach this generation of kiddos who are going to have this significant hole in their experience um, as much as teachers are doing all the things to fill that hole now? Yeah, what do you think that might look like or what do you, would you advise at a school level or even maybe think of it? More broadly, what would you advise at a kind of national policy level to catch kids up and get them back to where they need to be? Therapy. Yeah. A lot of therapy. Therapists on site. I mean, this is a massive collective trauma. It's a massive collective trauma. We are raising a generation of young people who are going to be conditioned into like a mild form of agoraphobia. And as rightly they should be. They should be scared of getting close to people. They should be scared of leaving their homes right now because it's not safe. Our country hasn't made it safe for them to go to school, to, you know, be near people in their community that they don't live with. Um, so a lot of therapy. I would, ideally, we would have full-time or two full-time therapists on site at every school. Um we are going to need folks to engage families and bring families in to help provide for them. Um, one of the things that my school did at the very beginning of the pandemic and the shelter in place was we established a rapid relief fund because we realized that our students and their families were really worried about whether or not they were going to be able to pay rent, whether or not they were going to have enough money for food. Um, and kids can't learn very well when they're in that kind of mental state right? I mean, have you ever tried to really concentrate while you're super hungry? It just, it doesn't go well, right? And then these are kids, so it's even harder for them to do that. And then on top of that, for them to concentrate on, you know, reading the classics like Homer or having a discussion about, you know, have we gotten to a point where the 14th Amendment of the Constitution actually does apply to all citizens or are we still falling short? Um, you know, if a student is worried that they're Parents might not be home when they get there because they've been picked up by ICE, then it makes it really hard for them to learn. So therapy is the first thing. Family engagement is the second thing. Um, I think the third in terms of getting kids to engage with the content is really refocusing on making what we teach culturally relevant and responsive and um, using restorative justice practices to help kids talk through their experiences and learn from mistakes that they might make. Um, but really, truly, the thing that I think in, you know, when you asked about catching up, catching up to who? They're all in the same place. 
they're all experiencing the same thing. It may be different with specifics depending on where you live um, or whether your parents are able to pay for a private education um, or whether your school is sufficiently staffed, whether you have a disability or you're an English language learner, all of those things are different. But in terms of the content, they're, they're all experiencing this. And so when I, when I hear people talk, I mean, you phrased it a little differently, but when I hear people talk about they don't want their kid to fall behind, um, I really think about it, you know, like fall behind who? Fall behind their peers? Fall behind everybody else who's experiencing this same massive trauma, who's losing their way of life and having to change the way that things are? We're all in that together. Um, and so at this point, when I hear people talk about like not wanting their children to fall behind, what I hear is they want their kids to get ahead of everybody else who's really being present and experiencing this pandemic and spending a lot of their brain power on coping with it. Um, so I hope that rather than thinking about catching up, I hope we talk about it in terms of learning from and processing and remaining whole and connected. Can I give a quick plug on? Course, um, it, yeah. Yeah. So um, outside of my uh, paid work, there are two organizations that um, one that I founded called Teachers Take Action, and we're really active on Instagram and Facebook. Have a page and a group where we talk about culturally relevant practices, restorative justice practices, about teachers and students partnering with each other to become abolitionist teachers and to really change their educational setting. Um, and the other organization, and this is the one that I really hope folks will join um, and become a part of, is called Schools Before Bars. And this is a coalition of parents, teachers, students, educators of all types, politicians, policymakers, who all believe that it is absolutely ridiculous that things like bars and restaurants and baseball are coming back um, it, to spread COVID and coronavirus among communities when it's not safe for schools to open. And we really believe that if we're going to open schools safely, all of this other stuff has to stop. It has to shut down until we've got the virus under control so that we can open schools first so that kids have a safe place to go and parents can return to work in order to be able to care for their kids um, and take care of their homes and do the work that's important to us, right? Like I'm here at my school right now getting ready to try to provide distance learning for my students and my children are at home. And I can't, they don't have anywhere to go and they haven't had anywhere to go for ages. Um, and so if you think that if kids can't meet up to think, then we shouldn't go out to drink, please come join us in Schools Before Bars on Facebook um, and tweet with that hashtag at every politician that you possibly can because we got to make this happen. Good advice. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to check out all episodes at the usual places, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. All the podcasts are there. We've dropped a bunch this week featuring our educators. We'll drop even more next week. So check those out. Download and subscribe. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.